Welcome to episode 50 of the Her Story Speaks podcast. My guest today for the final episode of 2019 is Julia Sadler. Julia's family story is a miraculous journey of the power of prayer. Julia and her husband, Ryan's bold prayer journey started with a series of miscarriages, three in just one year, and unexplained infertility, but they trusted and asked God for something big and bold. Listen as Julia shares her story of pain, loss, hopes, and dreams fulfilled as she urges believers to reclaim the power of prayer. Well, Julia, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, I am excited to hear your story. I've read your book, Pray Big Things, and I'm just excited to also talk to people about prayer in their lives and just learning by the example of your stories. Let me just start out with a brief intro. You are a lot of things. You're a author, a speaker, a ministry leader, a reality TV star, a licensed professional counselor, and the mom of triplets. So wow, you have a lot on your plate. Uh, yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> <I'm> like, but, <laughs> but somehow you're managing it all. I imagine the triplets are a focus right now, and that's what we'll talk about today because your journey to having them has not been the easiest one, but it, God has really showed up in that journey. Yeah. So before we get to that, let's start earlier in your story and just your childhood, growing up, being called to ministry, all of that. So mm-hmm. take us back just a little bit to growing up and your family and those things? Yeah. So my dad has been a pastor all my life and I accepted Christ as my savior when I was four. And some people think that's too young, but I really understood and I really wanted um, to make that decision. And so I had a really strong, actually had a really strong walk with God in elementary school. And that's when I started my first Bible study and felt called to full-time ministry. And then more in my teenage years never like abandoned never like would have said I abandoned the faith or anything like that but definitely just had some struggles I had a really long eating disorder for a long time and so that's what caused me more to go the counseling route instead of um ministry as far as schooling goes and so I got and my licensure is a licensed professional counselor and worked in a Christian trauma hospital for a long time and I like that you bring that up because you, I read somewhere you felt called to ministry at age 11, but that did mm-hmm. end up looking a little different because you went into counseling, as you said, yeah. and that is, that is ministry too. And God, yes. yeah. And God used that time of your dealing with an eating disorder to use that for your, what he called you into. So I like, I really like that part of your story too. <laughs> yeah. And then my husband and I met when we were 14 and I invited him to my church and he accepted Christ. And then we actually got back together when we were 19 at that same event. We were both volunteering at that disciple now, which okay. I think they still have those, but, <laughs> um, and we just both felt called to student ministry. And so even though I went the counseling route and um, God made a way for me to do more of that in the local church, which is what I feel like I'm supposed to do. So that was really exciting. Okay. And then you and your husband, so you reunited back at 19. And then when did you guys get married? Um, six months later. Six months later, <laughs> you know, no, <Yeah>. just, <laughs> that's so cool. So I know, I assume you plan to have children, but you were called into ministry, both of you. So what was your ideal plan for that? To wait a while for kids? Tell me, take me a little bit to that journey and thinking. 
So we kind of just had as our philosophy, we would probably probably be the first to get married, but the last to have kids. It takes about 10 years to get your undergraduate degree, graduate degree, and get licensed for counseling. And my parents kept telling me, like, once you have kids, it's really hard to do things. But, you know, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I kept doing things. So, um, but they were right. They were right. It's, 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 uh, comparable to medical school is what people say. So it's a lot of hours. So we waited and then at about seven years, we were at a student ministry event. We'd been married for seven years. We we're at a student ministry conference and everyone there was on their like seventh child. And we were like, I think we should, I think we should start. We should start trying. And, um, and so we did. I don't know how much you want me to. <laughs> no, absolutely. Let's, I mean, this is, let's dive into your story because this is part of it. So yeah, you yeah. start trying and you got pregnant pretty quick, right? Yeah, just immediately. I remember like thinking, wow, what's the big deal? I mean, I remember thinking that. I was like, that wasn't hard at all. And um, so we get pregnant immediately and then we end up miscarrying that child actually on the same night that I had a hundred girls in my backyard um, from our student ministry that I was teaching on how God has a purpose for them in their life today. And so that was so surreal because the whole purpose of that event for those girls was that God's not only going to do something in your future when you grow up, when you get married, he has a purpose for you today. And so that's what that event is just kind of the theme of it. And so trying to teach girls that while losing our child was really, <clears throat> really surreal. And so, sure. Like you're was, walking, you're walking yeah. in it and having to preach it that night. So, right. Yeah. And so it was kind of, it was very interesting. I talk about this in my book, Pray Big Things, but just how much spiritual warfare I felt, we've heavily felt around um, all of this because every child we lost, every child we miscarried um, corresponded with a huge spiritual milestone, either in our family or in our ministry. And so the second we end up getting pregnant again and we lose that baby right before the school year starts and church calendars the same as school calendar like you really rev up in August and so here we were supposed to lead like hundreds of teenagers and you know experiencing this personally and so I yeah, the, the yeah. first one real quick like so your first miscarriage I'm guessing that, I mean, that was hard. I've miscarried as well. Um, yeah. But the first one, you're kind of prepared that that is a possibility right. and not right. totally abnormal. Right. So then the second one happens. Tell me just a little bit yeah. how you wrestled with that and mm -hmm. your faith and all mm -hmm. of that time. Like, then did you yeah. start like, okay, what's going on? Yes, that's basically exactly yeah. what happened. So that I'm <laughs> that you had that experience too. Um, the first one, yeah, you, then you know, a lot of people come forward and they're like, we had this too. It's kind of normal. I know it's sad, but we weren't totally devastated just because a lot of people did tell us, well, we had had that happen too and we were able to carry later. Um, but then when the second one happened, I think that – it did seem like something was wrong, but at the same time, 
I, it really was a point where we had to make a choice because we were entering the school year. We had hundreds of teenagers we were responsible for. And so Ryan and I just looked at each other. We were like, hey, either we believe God is who he says he is or we don't. So it's going to be a lot easier to believe that the Bible's true and that, you know, and we talk about this with suffering. It's actually, even though it's weird and it's hard to believe that God is in control, even in hard times, at the end of the day, that's more comforting than thinking he's not in control. And so we had to, and I know people don't really like that, but it really, there really is comfort there. And so we had to decide, okay, God does know what he's doing and he still has a purpose for this season. And so we just, we just asked God, what do you want us to do? Clearly we're not having a baby right now. So what do you want us to do? And it ended up being the most incredible season in our student ministry. We did a very specific evangelism um, initiative where we trained and inspired, hopefully, um, but teenagers to just witness literally old school street witnessing in downtown Dallas. And we saw 135 people witnessed to by teenagers under 18. And it was incredible. I mean, it was, people still talk about it and we're, we're actually going to start doing it again, probably um, coming up soon. But there, there was so much hope. And I talk about this in my book, like even when you're struggling personally, when you're a Christian, you have a incredible purpose, which is so great because it doesn't depend on whatever your individual struggle is. Like we can always be a part of something big because God's always doing something big. And so that was a really neat thing to, I mean, it was hard. Right. And I mean, I don't want to over spiritualize. No, I totally get that. And you could have, I mean, that's such a great example because yes, the enemy was after, after you guys, but you did not let that stop your ministry and still doing great things for the Lord. And sometimes often we have to fight through that or the enemy has a win there. And you did. Yes, for sure. Well, and it wasn't, it definitely was not easy. Um, And then the third, what happened the third with the third child? I mean, we obviously thought something was wrong at that point. Um, and so I got pregnant again and then ended up miscarrying um, on the weekend that I was teaching at a women's conference mm-hmm. on why God allows suffering. Mm-hmm. So it was, I remember just feeling it, it may seem kind of odd and I do sometimes I don't always share this, but at times it really felt like I was like staring Satan in the face and was like, you better bring it because I'm not giving up. And whenever I saw it that way, when Ryan and I started looking at it that way, we're like, clearly he's trying to discourage us. Like it's in God's hand. Obviously he's trying, Satan's trying to discourage us. We obviously have a purpose. Everybody does. We just need to not give up and see what happens. And so that's what we resolved to do. Yeah, and I just got chills when you said that, like you stared Satan and we're staring Satan in the face because you have to, like you need to recognize that. I mean, yeah. my husband have taught marriage classes and have gone through a lot of marriage struggles and we always, mm-hmm. our marriage gets the worst really when we're teaching a class because I just, oh, the yeah. enemy is attacking us. He does uh-huh. not want our ministry. So mm-hmm. it's so important that you say that so we can recognize that. Like he wants to get you down. He wants to get you depressed. He wants to get you staying home, but you've got to like actively fight those things. Yes. You talk a lot about that, like being active and not passive. Mm -hmm. 
and so that is such a huge part of your story and your message. So I know that you guys share your book, like you said, is Pray Big Things, and you and your husband had an evening in London that really changed all that. So was that yeah. evening before or after the miscarriages? Yes, so I told this story out of order. I okay. No, so that's okay. <laughs> like, I think take us back a little bit, because those three yeah, miscarriages yeah. were in one year. So right. it was a quick, quick time. So yeah, take right. us back to that night um, yes. real quick. Okay, so it was three years ago, three or four years ago now. Um, and nothing was really wrong. Nothing was going wrong in our lives. It wasn't like, I mean, not like we have perfect lives, but it wasn't like someone was dying of cancer or we had some, you know, massive issue. We actually were at, we're celebrating new years in London, like you said. And the reason that that's important is just because in my book, I talk about how kind of getting, going somewhere different, of course, that was like a dream to get to go there. So, but just kind of getting out of the normal day routine, you really can start hearing God in a different way, I think. And so we, we just looked at each other. We felt like we were supposed to come up with all these new year's resolutions that, you know, we always do that. And we were just talking and we're like, you know, we want more. We want more out of our relationship with God. We want more out of our life. And what if, these promises in scripture really are for us. I mean, what if whenever God says, I want to do more than anything you can hope or imagine, he really means it. And he really is saying you have not because you ask not. And we a hundred percent believe the Bible is true and there's no error. And that's our belief. And we stand on that, but you can believe that and still not really practically put into practice, even what you're teaching. And so we, um, we decided that we were not going to be embarrassed to ask God for anything. That was the rule that night. So we just said, you know what, if we could have anything and I'm not, again, people kind of try to get me to over spiritualize it. They're like, well, weren't you praying for, I don't know, like some kind of mission or something like, no, we were praying for the things we wanted in our life. Mm -hmm. And so we just said, we're not going to be embarrassed to ask God for anything. So if we could have anything in the world, for our faith, for our family, for our future, what would those things be? And so we made a list of 20 things we were going to pray until they happened or until God said no. And uh, on that list were three children, multiples, actually, because remember the rule is we weren't going to be embarrassed. And I'd always wanted twins. I hate body stuff. And I thought I could probably only do all of it one time. (laughs) I just, oh, it really graces me out. And so, you know, it was just my husband and me. And we're like, well, we're just going to put it down because I really, that's something I really want. Um, And then for our student ministry to catch just a vision for evangelism, my husband, Ryan, and I, our whole life is just centered around telling people about Christ. Um, I had a family member that had been addicted to a substance for almost a decade, and we put that on the list. We were very specific. So it was, we weren't going to be embarrassed, and we were going to pray specifically and consistently. And then, then the miscarriages started happening after we entered this prayer journey. Okay. So, yeah, that puts things in perspective of why also – the miscarriages were an attack of the enemy because did you right. struggle with, were you starting to doubt God in those prayers? Cause like you said, you were sp- praying specifically and persistently like daily for yeah. these things. And then yeah. the miscarriages happened. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. perhaps the doubt or questioning mm-hmm. during that time. Um, I, 
it would just be dishonest to say I doubted God. I mean, I just don't. After okay. knowing him for so long, I think that that's really the only hope we do yeah. have is that he doesn't change. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews. And so, honestly, it just more taught me why we need to get our kids in church and how thankful I was that I grew up knowing God's word because everything can fall apart and that's all you have to rely on. So I did, I didn't doubt God. Um, but that not, not as any credit to me as credit to my parents instilling the word in me and God being and I, faithful. And I think that like, that could be hard for some people to understand because, yes. but doubting God doesn't mean I think it's your definition and perspective on doubting because when you said you were going through those list of prayers or the mm -hmm. things that you wanted to pray for, mm -hmm. you were going to keep praying for them until God answered them or he told you no. So that right. doubting isn't like God's going to do everything exactly how we want, but he's going right. to answer the prayers yes. the best for his will for our lives. So you right. knew that God had your best no matter what. Right. Yes. And then the way we prayed those things was that we would say, I would say, God, I want this more than anything. Mm -hmm. I want three children more than anything. I want multiples more than anything. I want this person to be freed from this addiction more than anything. But if this is not what you want, I need you to change that desire in me because I don't want to spend my life heartbroken or focused on the wrong thing. And so I, we, I would pray that way, but people have reacted really funny, honestly, to this praying big, you know, some people just love it. They're like, Oh yeah. Like what a cool idea. And then other people really don't like that. And I think it's because it scares them because it puts the responsibility on us a little bit. And I think it sounds holy to say, well, God's sovereign and he's just going to do whatever he wants to do. Well, yeah, but James 4, 2 says we have not because we ask not. So we do have a responsibility in our own lives and to pray for the things that we want to happen. Right. You're exactly right. And you talk a little bit about that in your book, the balance between our actions and God's blessings and not being right. passive. So talk a little bit about that because that leads to yes. your next step of like, okay, we need to take some of this in uh -huh. our own hands and act yes. with the resources God's given us. Yes. So thank you for setting me up that way. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we are not ashamed and we do not hide the fact that we went to a fertility doctor. And the reason that we're open about that is, well, there's nothing shameful about medication, but also we've just met so many people who really are stuck. They're not getting the medical help they need or the medical assistance because of kind of over-spiritualizing the fertility issue. And so, you know, first of all, we can't play God because people argue with me about that and say, well, you're playing God. Well, no, you can't play God. Nothing's going to happen. No baby's going to be born. And God's like, oh my goodness, how did that happen? Right. Like that, that doesn't happen. And so, you know, it would honestly have been wrong for us to keep losing lives, keep having babies. I mean, truly die. Yes. Go see a doctor. And right. so, um, we're obviously very pro-life and I mean, pro-life I believe goes into that decision. We're not going to keep letting babies die without getting medical assistance. And so, and I know that's kind of rough, but it's true. Um, and so we ended up seeing a fertility doctor and she 
prescribe me some medication to help um, me not miscarry. And whenever it was Clomid. And oh, that's what I, was, I was just, I was on like, that too. That's yeah. exactly what I was yeah. on. Because when you're sharing this, so this yeah. for me was like 11 years ago. But um, right. as you're telling this, I'm like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you go yeah. to the doctor? Like, why would I want to keep losing babies? Because I, I also... I had four miscarriages and it's oh. like, why would you want to keep doing that if you had it, if God's right. providing some other things for you, but it's still God. Like, yes. so, yes. so yes, I interrupted. So you went on Clomid no, as well. Fine. It's fine. Clomid. And I remember when she prescribed it, I said, Ryan, this is how we're going to get our twins. <laughs> Yeah, okay, awesome. there's the difference in our stories. You were excited. Yeah, I was I like, was. oh, dear, no, no, Lord, I, I don't want twins. But okay. I was so excited. I was so excited. I love the parent dress. I'd make my sister dress up with me. I just oh, that's like, funny. this is in my destiny. Okay. That's so funny. I called Ryan. I was so excited. And I said, will you pray for twins with me? Will you? Will you? And he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good husband. <laughs> and then, so, I mean, it's to get too detailed, but, uh, Clomid was the only month I never got pregnant. <laughs> and so they added some shots that made me, made me hyperovulate. Okay. And, and which it wasn't supposed to do that, but I just responded well. And so anyway, we were praying for three children, multiples for God to do more than anything we could imagine. And when we took this medication and went in and they said, there's three, I mean, we weren't even shocked. I remember specifically not being surprised. I was like, that's my God. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. I mean, I was like, of course, because I couldn't let go of that dream and that prayer. And it just made sense. And so, um, yes, we did go to the fertility doctor. And of course, that's not a black and white issue. If there could be a reason that someone feels convicted about doing that, but just don't limit yourself or decide not to have a family, um, for a legalistic. Uh, exactly. And that you, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you yeah. see that in your counseling too. It's like, yeah, people that have anxiety and depression. I mean, we have counselors, we have medication, yes. like God answers prayers in those ways too. So yeah, I think, is, thank goodness we're not living in the caveman days. Like we can get help. It's true. I think that's important for people to hear that God provides mm -hmm. doctors and resources yeah. for us. So you find out you're pregnant with triplets. Mm -hmm. You had waited. You were not surprised. You had expected that answer from the Lord, but you do share that at that point you go into some fear and anxiety. Oh, so talk about the, and talk about the next, talk about that a little bit. I mean, we were surprised. It's just that it made sense to me. I gotcha. You know, I mean, we're, ex we're ecstatic. We're very excited. I just wasn't really shocked because it made sense because of everything we'd been through. Um, so I was super excited and we have the video of us. It's like we'd won a gold medal. The video was on TLC when we were on that channel. And, um, but then almost immediately, I mean, I remember that was the first night I stayed up all night. Um, just anxious because I was so scared because whenever they told us that it was triplets, we were just thrilled and we were so excited. And then the doctor was like, kept checking on us. She was like, are you going to be okay? And we were like, why wouldn't we be okay? I mean, we were so excited. And then they, you know, they started telling us um, the risks and triplets are very high risk. And I have a lot of friends that one of their multiples didn't make it and just really, really scary things that I thought that 
something had to happen in order for the triplet pregnancy to be high risk. I didn't know it just immediately was. And so while a lot of people, it's like at 12 weeks, you usually aren't going to miscarry unless there's really something <clears throat> really wrong, really, you know, far right. along. Um, I remember asking my doctor, so am I, am I good at when, am I good at 12, at 12 weeks? And he was like, Oh, well, at 12 weeks, you're not going to miscarry. But then at 18 weeks, you could have the incompetent cervix. And then at 22 weeks, they're really still not viable yet. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, when do I get to enjoy this? And it it was just, it did. It, it ended up being a very big struggle with anxiety and for actually for good reason. So. Right. And I mean, I, I hear that part of your story. And I think that's, again, like just the enemy trying to have a, have a win. He didn't win yet. And he's still yeah. trying to now, okay, you got the answer to your prayer, but right. these lies. And you talk about that in your book, some of the lies from the enemy right. that he tries to get at us with. So share a little bit about specifically just one or two of those lies, not with you, but with everybody, you know, that the enemy tries to come at us with. Oh, yeah. Lies that Satan tells us? Oh, so many. Um, I think mainly that God can't be trusted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that goes into that God isn't good. And I use the C.S. Lewis quote in my book. It's not that we doubt God. It, I'm paraphrasing, but it's it's not that we doubt God has our best in mind. We're just worried how much that best is going to hurt. Mm, yeah. And I think that that's more... I mean, because there wasn't, there wasn't a promise. There, there are promises, there are overarching promises, of course. I'll always be with you. I'll never forsake you. But there's not a promise in there that says, don't worry, nothing bad's going to happen to, you know, during this pregnancy. And so I think lies that God can't be trusted. I think you go back to the Garden of Eden. Can God really be trusted? And then get, did God really say? Fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So questioning his character and then questioning his word, I think are the main, the main things that Christians struggle with. And so what did you do to specifically to fight those things? Yes. Cause you struggled with that during that pregnancy. Yes. So tell me some of the action steps that you took that like, no, Satan's oh, not going to win. I did. I didn't let my family say the word triplets for the first trimester, which was really sad because I really wanted to enjoy it. That sounds bad, but I would just kind of like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, cause I was so scared because I wanted it so badly. So anyway, we ended up going on our annual vacation where I had always, I'd always had a very special prayer time with God and we had miscarried the year before on that vacation. And I, just started praying like I had never prayed before. And I prayed God's word and I would go through Psalms because I, I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to read God's word and I know I'm not going to do a good job in life or if anything else, if we're not connected that way. And I just really didn't have a I mean, a ton of mental focus anyway, being pregnant, but then with triplets. And so I was reading Psalms and I just took verses in there and said, I want that to count for me. And I was like, God, no, you know, no gain happens if I die. I mean, there are all these verses in Psalms where David's just saying, God, you better show up because I'm scared and I'm counting on you. And so we really prayed in a different 
way, I would say, than I had before. Just really claiming scripture. And we just call them you said prayers. You know, you said there's no good if I go down to the dust. You said that you're going to provide. You said that you are going to fight for me. And so just really claiming those things. Your journey is so much of just really taking on a radical prayer life and God just really like making you lean into him. Mm Because you talk a little bit in the book too, how much so much of your life was just surviving on like borrowed prayers. Right. So God really, so even this time of being pregnant and so anxious and fearful, God just even had you lean in more to him. So then at 23 weeks, take us there because that's when some things happened and started to change too and really deepen your relationship even more <laughs> yeah. with the Lord. Yes. Yeah, so that on that vacation, I, I mean, I prayed and it was a totally cloudy day. I said, God, I need you to protect us. I cannot even practically move. I'm so fearful. And right whenever we prayed that, I'm not kidding, the clouds Mm -hmm. literally parted and there was sun just on Ryan and me. Mm -hmm. And I like opened my eyes and I nudged him. I'm like, are you seeing this? Is this real? And I mean, it was. And so there were just really neat things that God did along the way, um, which is just incredible. And then So we kind of get over another hurdle. I'm able to go along in my daily life. And then at 22 weeks, yeah, 22, 23 weeks, I go into preterm labor and the neonatologist comes in and says, hey, I'm sorry, but they're going to be born blind, deaf with brain bleeds or not at all. Um, I had to like reread that sentence in your book because I'm like, they told her that? Like, yeah. They did because you have to, they have to tell you basically, and this opens a whole new issue. They tell you that they're not going to do any extreme measures or they ask you that. I don't know, but I remember being so out of it and I was like, um, you better do everything you possibly can. Do I need to put this in writing? Like, do I need to get a lawyer? I remember because I was like, no, uh, we're doing everything to save them. Um, And their argument, of course, is just the quality of life. But there's really neat, this is a side note, there are really neat ministries and really not even Christian ministries, just people fighting for preemies and that idea that doctors don't go in at 22 weeks and save those babies, especially depending where you live in the South, it's a little different. Um, but it's, it's horrifying. There are videos online of moms saying, save my kids, save my child, and they won't do anything. And so that's that's really getting challenged right now because we have, we have preemies that are surviving at 22 and 23 weeks, which is incredible. Yeah, it really is. And again, letting God, God still being God, but using science and medical people to to help save these lives. So you're Mm -hmm. told that, was that more like, how did you feel? Were you like, I'm going to fight more for my kids or was it like, Oh no, like, I don't know if I can do this Lord. Um, whenever he came in and said that I, I, I seriously feel like I heard God say no in my head. Like, That is not going to happen. And I asked the doctor to leave and Ryan went in the hall with him because I was like, I just, I don't believe that. And my book is not name it and claim it, you know, because you've read it. But just for anyone listening, I mean, we don't believe God's a genie in a bottle and we can bully him into anything or anything like that. Um, And we, it's a very honest look at what do you do when you're at the crossroads and when there's issues. But I believed that that was wrong. I didn't believe that was going to happen. And um, 
so what ends up happening is I'm on bed rest in the hospital for 49 days. Mm. I thought it was a, I thought it was going to be a routine visit and they're like, Hey, you're not leaving. And so my friend, I know my friends give me a baby shower in the hospital. I get to leave once a week in a wheelchair for 20 minutes and Ryan would create elaborate dates for us around the hospital. And it was very scary. Um, yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, just a lot of alone time thinking. Time. Right. So you talk about like that was one of the hardest times to just be Definitely. stuck in that but also your relationship with the Lord deepened during that time. So he definitely used that time. So talk just a little bit about that. I think one, one place in your book, you say waiting time is not wasted time. And so you, you claim that and talk a little bit about that. I did. So I, I remember God just giving me this word. He just, you know, he put this in my mind for sure because I'm not this smart. He said, hey, I know this surprises you, but it doesn't surprise me. I have a purpose for this. And so I just asked him, show me why I'm here. And little by little, I had people I got to witness to and minister to. And that's really when TLC got interested in our story, which of course opened incredible doors to share the gospel. And I was getting to do a lot of ministering online because there are so many, um, multiples groups and women that are in the same situation, but don't have the hope of Christ. And it was, of course, God's word had been so real to me, but I started reading a Psalm a day because that's really all I can muster. And God spoke so specifically to me through his word to the point that one day I had a doctor that wasn't my normal doctor. And she said, Hey, you know, it's actually okay for you to get up and walk around. And I was like, really? Like, cause of course that's music to my ears. Mm-hmm. And I actually had this thought, of course, God put it there. And I said, Oh, actually I haven't read my Psalm today. Hang on. And I read my Psalm of the day and it said, I am not kidding. Stay in your bed and do not move. Ah, and wow. I was like, Whoa. Okay. So not, I think I'll stay in bed today. <laughs> I know. I'm not kidding. It was, that's really what it said. And of course the Bible has one interpretation and lots of applications and everything is not that literal, but it was just a little too freaky. And so I stayed in bed and then my normal doctor came in the next day and was horrified that I'd been given that advice. So I was like, it's okay. I read my Psalm. I didn't get up, but right. <laughs> I listened to the Lord instead. It's yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I do. I know during that time, so you were praying and had a lot of people praying for you to get to 34 weeks. So that was like your goal Mm -hmm. and what your prayers were about then. But God answered things differently. So tell us about that and ultimately how, when your babies were born. Yes. So 34 weeks was the prayer that went out and my dad's a pastor and we're on staff at a church and he has a worldwide ministry. And so everybody, I mean, just anybody, we're like 34 weeks, 34 weeks. That's the prayer. That's the prayer. Joy in the triplets, 34 weeks. And, um, I mean, I could just recite it. I still can remember the 34 week day better than when they were born. Cause that's what I prayed for. Mm-hmm. People were like, when's their birthday? I'm like, I don't know, but I know when their 34 weeks would have been right. December 30th. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, but anyway, and the reason just for anybody who hasn't been in that situation at, Every week, every day that the babies are not born is three days less than the NICU. So oh, every day you add on 
and like it's like even just seven days if you can stay pregnant is that would be 21 less days in the NICU is how it's configured and so 34 weeks is the best shot at them not having lifelong issues and so that was that's where that came from so anyway God just did incredible things. I'm super outgoing. I hate being alone. And he just covered me in some ability to lay basically in a jail. Like they call it baby jail for 49 days. And then, and it really, it was a really special time. It was terrifying, but God, God just protected me and protected my mind. And the, but then at, Day 49, I mean, I lost it. And the nurses were all taking bets because they were like, she hasn't lost it yet. Um, (laughs) Everyone, I know. And they're like, everyone always loses it. Oh, goodness. You're you're in a room for months. Uh. um, But I did. I lost it. All everything was gone. And I called my friend. I called Ryan. Ryan had to leave staff meeting. I was like, get me out of here. You're done. Yeah, I was. I was done. I was so, my heart was so heavy. And the doctor said, Hey, you can't leave. You're too far along now. And I, I was only allowed to get up to go to, to, um, take a shower and it had to be real quick. And so I was in the shower and I was crying and I could only think of the verse that the Holy spirit prays on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, when we don't know what to pray. And so that's what I said. I said, God, something's going on. Like, I need you to pray for me, Holy Spirit, because something, I don't know what this is. And so I said, as soon as the babies can be here and be healthy, they need to come because I can't do this anymore. And then I fell asleep, basically out of exhaustion, not in the shower, but, um, and I woke up the next day and I was so refreshed and I got to go out of the room my one day of the week to get a sonogram. And the doctor told me that one of the babies had stopped growing and that it was time to deliver. Mm. And I said, I mean, it was incredible. But I said, Ryan, what day is it? And it was week 30, day four. And so instead of week 34 and just those little things, you know, I think all of us have times we never would have chosen. <laughs> like right. We're like, I really hope I go through this really scary thing. But when you look back, you're like, wow, like that was so special to have God so specifically involved in every little detail. Absolutely. When we're in our stories, when we're in these hard parts of our stories, yeah. we're like, well, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. But we right. look back and we're like, goodness, God, God knew God is good. And that is just what reaffirms our faith and trust in the Lord. And Mm -hmm. this part of your story, I think is so good too, because you had all these people praying for 34 weeks, but God didn't answer it like you thought, but he answered what was best. Like he still knew what was, what was best. And I think that's important too, that God doesn't always answer our prayers, just how how we think. Right. Yeah. And of course his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And I just think what I've experienced from people is they just a lot of times think there's a huge gap. Like what we want and what God wants are totally different things. And I just don't think that's true unless there's, you know, something really sinful and God created us. And of course, in my book, you know, I talk about Joseph and the Old Testament and how God gave him his dreams as a child. And then he was sold into slavery and then he was abandoned by his family before ever seeing those dreams come about. And so, of course, like, 
when we're little and we're like, I want to be a princess. We're probably not all going to be princesses. But at the same time, like God has given us our talents, our desires, our interests. And so we don't have to totally go a different way in order to be on the same page. That's right. And a lot of our prayers, he doesn't answer right when we want either. Right. So there right. is a waiting and that's that faith growing. And the, there's a plan in that journey. Yes. So your babies were born at the 30 weeks and day four of 30 weeks. So tell me about their health, their weight, like that, that next yes. part of the journey. Cause that is a whole new, like, wow, that's another hurdle of things. Yes. And I can tell, I, I just reread my book and I'm like, Oh, I know when I wrote the end of this <laughs> book because it was really during a really challenging time. And yeah. um, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, because uh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, oh, she has all this anxiety why she's pregnant. Just wait till she has those three little ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the NICU, I mean, there's a a lot of people are talking about it now. Um, but it's still, people. if you haven't experienced it, it's really kind of its own thing because it's a lot of things that you don't get to experience and it's very scary. Um, they were born two two pounds three pounds and three pounds mm. so they were very small and it was in the middle of the worst flu season in like recorded history or something like that and th that's important because you want everyone to meet your kids you want you know so many people have been praying for them and then after all of this isolation on bed rest then they're in the NICU for 63 days but wow. they all and no one no one got to meet them except my parents and Ryan's but they all survived they're all healthy and they all ended up home the night before our nine-year anniversary which was just incredible that time in the NICU, I think that that's important for you to bring up too, because I have a friend that went through that as well. And that's a really hard, hard time of life. And I mean, I'm sure, again, the Lord used that time for you to deepen your trust in Him and your faith. And so your kids' health, did they come out without complications? Talk a little bit about that part of their yes. story. Yeah, by God's grace, they they are fine. So they are healthy and thriving and doing well. The NICU, I think that the biggest spiritual lesson from that would be, I mean, of course, God can do anything, right? We always have to put that in there. But when you're really truly in crisis, I believe it's too late to try to muster faith yeah. or, wait, what's that Bible verse I learned in third grade? I mean, I, I just kind of view it as if you're not going through something hard right now, like this is your time to kind of train. If you think about an athlete, like be reading your Bible, do a Bible study, be memorizing scripture, because it's almost like you have to depend on that during your crisis. It's like these reserves that you don't want to run out. And so that's really the image I had because there, I mean, it, there wasn't a ton of, honestly, I mean, if I'm just being honest, it wasn't a ton of reading my Bible and having all this alone time with God. I had three babies that were hospitalized. And so I think that that's kind of the bigger lesson for me. And then I try to tell other people, like there is incredible value in studying God's word when you're not in some yeah. crisis and you're not in a hectic time in your life because those are, it's just like storing it up, storing it up for you to be able to count on later. That's such good spiritual advice and wisdom. Cause I think we often go to the Lord when we're in that time of suffering and desperation and the times when life is easy and good, we often can, Oh, quit 
praying or getting so deep. Right. And it's like, we need to use those times to get ready for the battle yes. and to arm up. So that's really good, good wisdom. So I imagine when you got home, life is a little crazy with the three. <laughs> uh, I can't even imagine. I have two and they're seven years apart. So three little ones, you got what you asked for. And when, at what point in that does, tell me about the reality TV and how that starts entering the picture. Because you were praying for that, right? Yes, we were. So that sounds, <laughs> we were. So actually what happened was whenever we had the miscarriages, we were just thrust into this whole subculture of people with infertility and struggling miscarriages is 6.1 million mm -hmm. American women, which is just staggering. That's a huge number. That is huge. So 6.1 yeah. million struggle with infertility. Yes. In America. Oh and wow. so you have people connect all over the world to this. And so there, I mean, I don't even know the worldwide number, but then whenever we got pregnant with the triplets, we were like, People need to hear this story yeah. because we kept reading and connecting with people that were so disheartened and so just discouraged because of what they were going through. And so we're like, hey, people need to hear this story. And so to us, the easiest way to get a story out was TV. That's what entered our mind. And so we started praying for a show and the show you have to realize is in quotations. Like we, we didn't, we didn't search it out. We didn't try. We didn't pitch anywhere. And so Ryan and I just started praying for the show in quotations. And he comes into my office when I'm about four months pregnant and says, Hey, like, are you still praying for the show? And I said, not really. I'm really just stressed out about working and having being pregnant. Yeah. With and he said, well, I really think we should. And I was like, okay. And so we did. We said, God, please open doors to share our story on television. And the next day, TLC reached out to us and asked if we wanted to be um, in their season three of their show, Rattled. Wow. Yeah. That's, that is awesome. And, is you, and, and they were very gracious with sharing your story and the, yes. like testimony, telling about God answering prayers, which is just yes. incredible. Yes, they were. The show is called Rattled, so the premise is being rattled. So it's <laughs> a little more, I think, like we were having fun during that time as well, which isn't shown a ton, <laughs> but they, they did. They let us share. They did a great job telling our story and letting us share about our faith. That is so cool. So is that show still on or do people, is it, are you still recording it or do people need to search for past shows? Yeah, it's past shows. It was okay. last year. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but people can still find those to get a yeah. little bit of a glimpse into more details of your story in day-to-day -day life. So a couple of things I want to talk about before we wrap up, bigger questions. So one of the things that you're intentional about in your book, in the prayer, is saying this is not the not prosperity gospel, which I think in this day and age we do hear a lot of, and it's difficult to differentiate between your message, praying big things, and the prosperity gospel. So right. talk a little bit about that. What What is the difference yeah. and why is that not what you're saying? Right. So prosperity gospel, the gist of the prosperity gospel, a lot of us have heard it and we don't realize we've heard it. And it's very popular, especially among millennials mm -hmm. um, of whom I am a part of that generation. I don't think I was to say that, but anyway, and the idea is just 
that if we follow God, then things are going to go well for us. And if they aren't going well for us, then something's wrong and we've done something wrong. And that's, you know, that's the shorthand version. But that, it takes a very serious turn because in counseling, in student ministry, um, Ryan, my husband yesterday just preached on why God allows suffering. Because if we don't understand that suffering is part of the Christian life, we are going to be very confused and people do walk away from the faith. There are people that really do not, they decide I'm, I'm done with this and um, because of being confused that following God does not mean that everything is going to be perfect from here on out. We'll have purpose in everything. We're not alone in everything, but that perfect life is not until we go to heaven. Right. And he's not just rewarding per- perfection with right. money or cars or big things. Right. Yes. And your, your message though is like, have the faith to pray these big right. things. Right. Yes. And if you're not, if, if you haven't heard any of that, then it probably doesn't even phase you pray big things but some people are like wait so it's not name it and claim it and that idea is just if I speak it out into existence then it's gonna happen and then people are disillusioned when it doesn't happen and so that's not the thing and pray big things you know the big thing can be show me why I'm here it's not always whatever the end you know goal or yeah Or give me peace with this answer or let me know, trust that you have got my best. Right. It's not just a list of material things. No. And my book, I, I try to be as honest as possible talking about how I really thought prayer was boring when I was little. I talk about, you know, the Bible says not to be anxious, but I am anxious. So what do I do? What do we do when we're mad at God for not answering how he said he would, or no, no, how we wanted him to. Right. so it's an honest look. It's not a frilly feel good. Um, it, it absolutely is. And I just, I highly recommend your book. And even in my own life, it just kind of made me reassess. Okay. My prayers are very, <laughs> what, I mean, they're almost, we're praying for things that we could do, you know, are right. those really prayers? If it's not big things that only God can answer. Yes. And so that is definitely the message in your book. And I just, I really encourage you because I think believers can come, become just very lukewarm and complacent in their prayers. And it's a wake up to like really examine your prayer life. Yes. So my last question is, and I know you've gotten this one, but I just want to hear how you verbalize it. So there are, like you said, 6.1 million women battling infertility. I did for a short, short period. And seven years later, I did have, that's when my girls are seven years apart. But um, Mm -hmm. how do you answer people that have been praying so fervently for those babies and God is not answering them? Like they're looking at your story like, oh, that's great for her. I wish God would do that for me. Right. Absolutely. Three things. One, I talked about the persistent widow in Luke 18 because Jesus talks about the persistent widow and he gives her as an example of someone that relentlessly asked for what she wanted and did not give up. And Jesus said, we are supposed to be that way. So I know it's hard and we want to throw the towel in, but we just, I mean, we cannot give up. And that is something that we know God blesses. So looking at the example of the persistent widow, stay persistent, but also ask God to show you your purpose for this time. What is his purpose for you? Mm -hmm. And something I say often is your purpose is not contingent on your ability to get pregnant or find a spouse or get into whatever college or you have a purpose today and we have to figure out what that is. And so 
Even though our struggles surprise us, they don't surprise God. And that is a good thing. Mm. Also, you have to go to God. You have to tell him because honesty creates intimacy. If you pretend like everything's okay and you're still sitting in the pew or singing, but you've never said, hey, God, I'm mad at you or cried or told him you're disappointed or something that bridges that gap of knowing that he's God, but you're upset and you're going to end up either walking away from the faith or practically walking away just in the sense of not being as close as, as he wants to be to us. So be persistent, find your purpose and be honest with yourself, with God and with others. So I know, I know that that's hard, I think we really, it's, it's easy to say this, but it's true. We cannot always be focused on fill in the blank because yeah. it's just distracted from what we're supposed to do right now. I had so many friends that really did struggle with infertility for like a decade and it consumed them. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, that's so sad. Like no matter what it is, whatever that thing is, we really want a husband or we really want fill in the blank. It just causes us to miss what God has for us today. And I know that can sound like, Oh, well that's easy for her to say, but it wasn't always easy. We did, you know, we did have a long waiting time. Yeah. And I think I wrote that, what you said down. I mean, what is the purpose right now? Because again, that's how the enemy is going to use that to just, totally derail what God has for you right now. So that's such, such, again, such wisdom. You're full of so much wisdom, Julia. I just appreciate you sharing your, your honesty and vulnerability in sharing this. Cause even though God answered those prayers, that doesn't mean life is picture perfect and easy for you right now, but it is such a reminder to pray those big things and keep trusting in the Lord. So tell us again, your book is called Pray Big Things, and we'll put a link to that on the show notes where people can buy that. But tell us where else you can be found and people can listen to you and all of that. Yes. So my website, juliajsadler.com. I have all of my stuff on there and then Instagram, Julia J. Sadler, the Sadler triplets. Okay. That is so perfect. We'll link all of that up on the show notes. And again, thank you so, so much for joining me today and just sharing all of your heart on this. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. I hope Julia's story has given you the courage to boldly pray big things and watch expectantly for God's even bigger answers. I encourage you to share this episode with a friend who may also need the encouragement for their own prayer journey. As always, you can find a link to Julia's website and the link to order her book at www.herstoryspeaks.com.